Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. again, let me welcome you to Faith Christian. Glad that you are here today. Glad you're tuned in online. Uh, so thankful we get to spend this time together, worshiping God together, uh, studying God's Word, sharing together in communion in a little bit. Uh, we give generously when we worship, so we're glad that you have uh, chosen to make this a worship service a part of your weekend. Um, I do, as Brian mentioned a minute ago, a couple things to talk about. Uh, he mentioned Vacation Bible School, which does start tonight, and we are super excited to be on the case uh, beginning tonight at 6 o'clock. If you don't have your kids registered yet, please do that before you leave. Uh, if you Remember, if you're signed up to help. Uh, you know where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be here tonight, so we hope that you will make it. And um, and if you're not going to be here, uh, we do ask that you just pray for a wonderful week of Vacation Bible School. We're from tonight through Wednesday night, uh, 6 o'clock every night this week uh, through Wednesday, and uh, just be praying for all the kids that will be here, for all the adults who will be working with the kids, you know, patients and VBS will wear you out. So uh, strength and all those kind of things. If you can pray for us uh, this week, we'd appreciate that as well. And of course, we hope we'll see you. Uh, with your kid, dropping a kid off, dropping a grandkid off, or even uh, being here to help uh, this week. Uh, as Speaking of help, we do need a little bit of help this morning before we leave today. Uh, after the service, if you could help us set up a handful of tables out in the atrium and a couple downstairs, I've got a list. Or Noah will be around, he's got a list too. Uh, what needs to be set up, if you can help us for, I mean, if we get like seven, eight people helping us, it'll take us like ten minutes. We'll knock this out real quick after the service today and would appreciate your help with that. I also need to mention to you that uh, two weeks from today, um, June 26th, is our annual congregation meeting. Uh, we're mixing this up a little bit this year as well uh, with our one service happening at 10. What we're going to do is we're going to do a breakfast meeting this year. And so we invite you to be here two weeks from today at nine o'clock for uh, pancakes and sausage and all kinds of goodies. Uh, nine o'clock and then around 930 we will begin our annual congregational meeting and then we will move right into our 10 o'clock worship service. Again, that's two weeks from today and I hope that you'll be here for all of that, the breakfast, the meeting, and of course our worship service at 10 o'clock uh, beginning uh, at nine was when we start everything on June. June 26th, that's two weeks from today. If you were here last week, uh, you were a part of us kicking off our summer teaching series. And what we're going to be doing this summer is kind of camping out in a passage in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Now this, this little paragraph, these two verses, um, are, are, are passages that we call um, the fruit of the Spirit. We call that because Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is, and he goes and makes this beautiful list of these nine characteristics or qualities of an individual who is following Jesus, who the Holy Spirit is living in their lives, which that's what happens when we're baptized into Christ, we are baptized to, to take on uh, Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our leader and our forgiver, and then we receive in that moment, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God living in us. The, the same God that, that, that became Jesus on earth, the same God lives in us through that power of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, Paul says the fruit of that, the evidence of that, the proof of that, the proof that you are a follower of Jesus are these nine characteristics, these nine qualities of an individual. And these are things we not only want to be trying to have in our lives, these are things we need to be cultivating in our lives and making sure are evident in our lives because Paul says, Jesus will say, this is the proof. If you're a Christian, you can't prove it by the bumper sticker on your car or who you vote for. You can't prove it by the t-shirt you wear or what church you go to or what denomination you're a part of. Jesus says, Paul says, Scripture says, you prove it by doing these things. 
This is the proof. This is, this is the overflow of the Spirit. This is the, God's Spirit pouring out of our lives. So what I want to do to kind of get us back into this passage this morning is I want to read this again, and, and I told you last week, I'm going to ask you to read this out loud with me all summer long. Every week, we're going to read this whole list out loud together. So let's read it. Let's use our nice, big, proud voices, and let's let this, this Scripture and this list of qualities of a Christ follower, let's let them ring out over us today as we get started. Read it with me. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's read it. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Right here, here's the list. Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does success look like for a follower of Jesus? That. What does success look like for a group of Jesus followers? That's another word for church. What does success look like for a church? That. That's the goal. That's, that's what success is, looks like. How do we know that we are the people of God? Boom, right there. What does that really look like? I believe it looks like this paragraph. It looks like Jesus. And the top shelf, number one item on this list, the one that holds all of this list together, is love. That's what we want to talk about today. The first of these characteristics, love. There's this old story, you may have heard this before, about this uh, man who was, he was having a little bit of trouble in his marriage, and he went to see his pastor about it. And he told his pastor, he made this confession of, to his pastor, this is hard to say, but he says, I think I have fallen out of love with my wife. And so the pastor and this man, they talked for quite a while in these counseling sessions, and the pastor finally gave him this advice, you need to go out of your way to do something for her. Find something that will encourage her. Find something that will bless her. Find ways to bring her joy. Focus on, instead of on yourself, focus on her for a, little bit, for a little while. Do something that will surprise her with how much you love her. Well, the guy, he, he wasn't so sure, but he thought about it for a while, and he, he kind of let it ponder in his head. And he kind of finally, he realized that every day, he would go off to work, and he worked hard. He had a hard job, and he'd get dirty and sweaty. And every day after work, he would stumble home. He'd go into the back door through the kitchen, grab a cold drink out of the fridge, go sit down in the Lazy Boy in front of the TV until it was dinner time. He realized he was doing this every single day. So after listening to the pastor, and after kind of thinking about what can I do to, to show my wife I love her, to encourage her, surprise her. So after the working uh, the next day, after work, he showered and shaved at work. And he put on clean clothes. And he put a little of that smell good stuff on him. It was aftershave. And he, he stopped on the way home and he bought a dozen roses. And instead of going in the back door and crashing in front of the TV, he went to the front door of their house and he rang the doorbell as if he were going to pick her up for a date. Well, when his wife answered the phone, she saw her husband of 20 plus years standing there in clean clothes, smelling good, holding a, a dozen roses, she just began to weep. And just cries like, honey, honey, what's wrong? And she just breaks down in front of her husband. She goes, you don't know how hard my day has been. This has been the worst day. Billy broke his arm on the playground and they had to put it in a cast. We just got home from the hospital. Your mother called this morning. She's coming for three weeks. The vacuum is clogged. The dinner is burnt. The washing machine is leaking. There's water all over the floor. And now this. He goes, what? You come home drunk. <laughs> that's a horrible joke. I know. <laughs> that's awful. Sometimes when we try to love, even our best intentions, we don't always get it right, do we? But we don't stop trying. 
we don't stop trying to learn and love like Jesus. The old song says it best, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. And as followers of Jesus, we are always trying to find ways to love like Jesus because it's the only thing that there really is just too little of. Now, as followers of Jesus, we do have an advantage here because we know the source of love. We know that God is love. We know that Jesus is God with skin on God in the flesh. Thus, we know that Jesus' spirit, the spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, that produces God's love in us. That's why we get this. We can't do this on our own. So the same love that flowed through Jesus can flow through you. This is why my prayer for better than a year now, for this church, both in this room, maybe you've noticed, in in my office when I'm praying for you and for us, My prayer for this church has been, God, teach us how to love better. Teach us how to love better. Because this kind of love, this this kind of love that is genuine and real and true, that kind of love doesn't come from you or from your strength. You can't make it happen on your own. This love is God's gift to you. It's a part of his fruit that is produced in your life. The love we're talking about today, you can receive it, You can relax in it, you can live in it, and you can live it out, but it is God's fruit being produced in your life. And Jesus said it like this in John 13, 35, that your love, your love, your love will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love will prove to the world that you follow Jesus. Now, I need to say this before, before we go any farther. As we walk through these nine fruits of the Spirit this summer, we walk through all of these, I need you to keep a couple of things in mind. The first is this. These are non-negotiable. If we follow Jesus, these are non-negotiable. This is not, you know, like Galatians 5 is not like going to the uh, farmer's market and just picking out the things you like. Oh, I'll have some asparagus, we'll have some strawberries, mm, some blueberries, and the rest of it you're going to leave. No, no, this is not a la carte. We don't get to pick and choose which of these nine fruits of the Spirit we want to have in our lives. These are non-negotiable. We need to remember this. Here's the second thing I need you to remember. I've said it three times already today. If you follow Jesus, this is the proof. That's why Jesus said, your love will prove to the world that you're my disciples. This is the proof. And this is especially true, I think, with this first one, love. Listen to what the Bible says about love, and just kind of pay attention as I, I'm just going to fly through a couple of these verses. I, I don't have time to read all the Bible verses on love. We'll be here until tomorrow. But listen to what the Bible says about love, and notice just how big and, and weighty and important the language is surrounding this idea of love. Paul says to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Your life is filled with love. To the Colossians, he said, above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. To the Galatians, Paul says, serve one another in love. To the Ephesians, again, he said, speak the truth in love. To the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, he says, do everything with love. Do you get that? Do you see how big that is? Do everything with love? Listen to me, that's a little weird. Right? That's a little weird to, li- to live a life of love. It is a little not normal to be characterized by a life that looks like love because that's not what we see on the news. That's not what we see on Facebook. That's not what we see in, in the neighborhood. 
But to be characterized, it's a, it's a little weird. Let's just admit it. It's a little weird. It's a little not normal to be characterized by a life that looks like that. It's weird to put love over everything else. We are to do not some things, not the things we want to do, not just a few things, not things once in a while. We are to do everything in love. We are to serve in love. We are to speak words in love. Now, I need you to notice this. As we, as we look at the various parts of the fruit of the Spirit, I think it's, yes, back up on the screen. You see all those, those, that list again. I need you to notice this. There's a reason that love is the first one. Because it's kind of the linchpin that holds all of these together. We can talk about, and we probably will talk about this, this concept of love as we talk about every, all of these other eight characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Because love is kind of the glue that holds all of this together. It's the, it's the key that ties the rest of this list together, is this idea of love. Somebody made this observation about the fruit of the Spirit that said joy, that's the second one, the next one, we'll talk about that next week. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love, love's self-forgetfulness. And self-control is love holding the reins. So obviously, love is a big deal. But what is it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we need to spend some time with this question. Especially, especially those of us and everyone in this room, and I'm assuming everyone watching this broadcast today, our primary language is English. And we need to talk about love because there are some deficiencies in the English language when we come to the word love. There's a lot of misconceptions about love, and it has to do a little bit with our language. One of the problems in English is we use the word love for everything. So I might say, I love my wife. That is absolutely true. Uh, and I might say, I love my dog. Also true. I might also say, I love the Florida Gators. Also true. But I hope that I love my wife a little differently than I love the Florida Gators. Would you agree? Right? All right. So you see, we have a problem. We have a problem with our language. In English, there's one word, and it has to hold the whole weight of what we mean by love. This is not true of most other languages, especially the New Testament language Greek. Now, I'm not going to get into all the different words for love. We don't have time for that. That's a whole other conversation. Really interesting study. If you want to geek out with that, sit down with them. We'll talk about it. But in English, love encompasses everything. We need to understand this word encompasses everything, and it's just too much to ask of one word. And that hurts us because it leads to misconceptions about love. Let me show you a couple of these misconceptions about love. Misconception number one is that love is only a feeling. We write songs like this, don't we? More than a feeling, yeah. We, we, misconception number one is that love is only a feeling. Love is a quiver in my liver. Love is an ocean of emotion. That's all love is. It's just a feeling. But the truth is, love is way more than that. Let me be clear. Love affects your emotions. You know this already. Love can affect how you feel. We get that. So that's the first misconception is that love is only a feeling. Here's another misconception is that love is uncontrollable. That love is uncontrollable. I've heard a lot of people say things like, I just, I just, when we met, I just felt so giddy in love and my head was spinning and I was in love and I'm weak in the knees because I'm in love and it sounds more like seasickness to me, doesn't it? Here's another one that people say, 
I fell in love. We fell in love. It's almost like, oh, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. I fell into love. I was just walking along, and then boom, oh, man, just love struck me out of the blue, and I just stepped in it like you'd accidentally step in something the dog would leave for you, right? Just, oh, I didn't mean to step in it, but boom, I, I fell in love. The problem with that concept is if you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. And it's just sort of this accidental thing. It accidentally happened. Now it accidentally didn't happen, and I didn't have any control over it. That's misconception number two. Here's what Scripture teaches us. Love is an action. It's a a verb. It's something we do. Love is intentional. It's on purpose. It is controllable. It's something you do. In fact, love is a command. God tells us, commands us in Scripture to love one another. And if if that weren't enough, God also commands us in Scripture to love our enemies. Ooh, that gets hard, doesn't it? I'm not going to fall in love. I'm not going to slip and accidentally fall in love with my enemy, am I? No, i got to do that on purpose. You cannot command an emotion. Think about that. You can't command someone, Pete, if I were to say, Pete, Pete, be angry right now. Get angry, angry, angry. He couldn't do it. Why? Because that's an emotion. You don't command an emotion. You can't command something that's not in your control. So let me make sure this is clear. Love is commanded because it's something that God can do through us and in us. It's a choice. I just read the scripture a minute ago from Ephesians. Over all these things, put on love. That's an action. That's an action. And when you put on love by God's spirit, by God's power, day by day, God living in you, what happens is love becomes obvious in your life. But if love is just a feeling, or love is just an accident, if it's something that you fall in of and fall out of, well, then you can't command it if you can't control it. But God commanded it. And that means that love is a matter of conduct. Love is how you act. And sometimes love is how you don't act. Love is how you live. So if love is the first fruit of the Spirit, and if love wraps up all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit into one, I'll say it like this, as God is alive in you, God's love will be evident and alive in you. As God's love is in you, his love will be alive in you. It will be evident in you. So let's get rid of the misconceptions. Let's understand that love is a choice. Love is an action. Love is not an accident. Love is not a feeling. And then we begin to act like love acts, which brings us to the big question. How does love act? How is love supposed to act? Well, I'm going to go to a passage in the New Testament that you've probably heard at a wedding before. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is this, this paragraph in the New Testament. We read it at weddings. We call it the love chapter because Paul lays out in this letter this list of what love looks like. And it's great. It's a great read at a wedding. It's great for a, for a bride and a groom to hear. But as we read this, I need you to pay attention to these words and pay close attention to how love is described as an action, something you do, not a feeling, not something you accidentally fall into, But love is described by what we do, and love is described by what we don't do. Love is described by how we treat people. Love is also described by how we don't treat people. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Let me walk through just a a little bit of this. We don't have time to go through all of it. Let me just walk through a couple of these descriptions. The first description of love here in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is patient. We hate this already, don't we? (laughs) Let me say it like this. Love is alive when love has time. Love is alive when love has time. Love is dying when, when it's hurried or rushed because you don't feel seen, you don't feel valued, you don't feel important. Love is patient. That's how love displays itself because love is not about me and my timetable. It's about you and your needs. Scripture says this, Ephesians 4, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your, say that word, love. Yeah. In other words, your patience is a way to express your love. Love takes its time. Love gives its time. Patience means, listen to heart. Patience means I wait for you to change. And I wait for you to recover. And I wait for you to get motivated. And I can be patient with you because, are you ready for this? I can be patient with you because God has been patient with me. Scripture continually, over and over, Scripture says to us, forgive as you've been forgiven. Love as you've been loved. Welcome as you've been welcomed. The same way that God treated you, that's how you treat other people. So I make the same mistakes again and again and again and again and again, and God forgives me again and again and again and again and again because the cross covered over all my sin. And if the God of the universe can be patient with me, then then I can be patient with you. Here's the next description of love. Kindness. Love is kind. Kindness is the ability to care for others in practical ways, in the practical details of everyday life. That's love displayed by being kind. By the way, we're going to have a whole sermon on this topic in just a couple of weeks. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, yeah, by the way, so is patience, the first one. Yeah, so maybe... mm. Maybe 1 Corinthians 13 and Galatians 5, we can just lay them together. What does love look like? How does it act? It acts like the fruit of the Spirit. You see what we're doing here? How this all connects together. So let me just say it like this for now. Kindness displays love. Again, Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Here's, the, here's this idea again. Forgiving one another. How? Just as God in Christ forgave you. Here's the next few descriptions. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Some translations translate that phrase there, self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Here's the point. Sometimes what we think love is really comes down to what is it that I want. That's what I think love is, is whatever it is that I want or whatever it is I think that I need. So we tend to view love like, uh, like an equation. And it goes like this. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. You do it for me, I'll do it for you. 
That's a fair exchange. I get that. That's a fair exchange. But God's kind of love isn't give and take. It, God's kind of love isn't, now you do this for me, and then I'll do that for you. That's not how God's love works. God's kind of love is give and give and give and then give and then give and then give. That's what God did on the cross. He gave. And it's kind of dangerous when we want to make love be all about this, this equation, this give and take. Listen, that might work in business, but it does not work in relationships. God's love is about give and give and give, and here's why. If we are going to love like God, we have to realize that God always went first. He didn't wait for us to move. He didn't wait for us. He always moved first. Tell me with this. Think about this one. You know this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Are you sure? God didn't love the world so much that he waited until we got our act together. God loved the world so much that he, he waited until we straightened up and we got a few things figured out and we got ourselves right and then he blessed us. No, no, what happens? God so loved the world that he gave. He acted first. He gave his one and only son. Here's another one from Romans. While we were still sinners, Christ gave up on us? No. Christ condemned us all to hell? No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God went first. God gave first. God's love goes first. To be like God, to love like God, you have to love first. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, Larry, that's a terrible idea. I might get taken advantage of. They might hurt me. Yep. Yep. You're right. They might. That's kind of what love looks like. That we're willing to risk for the sake of someone else. That we're willing to risk it. I, I, I want to say it like this. It is worth it to risk your heart so that your heart doesn't get hard and so that your life is not empty. At this moment, I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and take their places and get ready to service. We're going to start moving in time communion. But let me just tell you a story while they're on their way there. Some of you remember the old movie, and it's getting older as I am, um, the old movie Crocodile Dundee. You remember Crocodile Dundee? The idea of the movie, if you're not familiar with it, you know, if you're under, like, the age of 50 like I am, uh, the idea of the movie is that this, there was this folk hero from the Australian outback who came to New York City, and he just doesn't fit in, and just comedy ensues. It's a pretty good movie. It's, it's funny. It's an old movie. And one of the scenes in this movie has Crocodile Dundee and this, his, his um, companion, his love interest in the film. They are together, and they're walking through the streets of New York City, and a group of bad guys corners Crocodile Dundee and this woman. It corners them, and they're going to rob him. They're going to mug him. And one of the bad guys pulls out a switchblade, you know, a little switchblade knife. And Crocodile Dundee is not impressed. He says, that's not a knife. I won't try to do the Australian accent because you'll laugh at me. That's not a knife, he says. And then he reaches back behind his back and he pulls out this big, huge, long, machete, long knife thing. And he says, this is a knife. That's not a knife. This is a knife. And all the bad guys run away and comedy ensues. That's the point of the movie. You know, I think sometimes maybe God does that with us when it comes to love. That God looks at what we call love and says, do you think that's love? That's not love. And then God points to the cross. And he says, that's love. That's what love looks like. If you want to find love, look at the cross. 
You see, God is love, and Jesus is God, so love looks just like Jesus. I'm going to ask our communion team to go ahead and begin passing out those communion emblems. As they come around, take a stack of these cups out. Just hold on to those for a minute. We'll share this time of communion together in just a moment. The greatest example of love acting, remember what I said, love is not a feeling, love is an action. The greatest example of love acting is what we remember every Sunday morning when we take communion. Because the God of the universe didn't just look, you know, peek over the clouds of heaven and say, love you, love you, love you, love you. No, no, no. What did God do? God came down from heaven. God put skin on in the person of Jesus. He walked among us. He did miracles. He taught the greatest lessons ever. And then he let us put nails in his hands and feet and nail him to a cross where he shed his blood as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if that's not love, I've never seen it. And neither have you. So we come to our communion time today, and you are invited to remember God's love. That's what this whole thing is about. In the bottom cup, you've got a little piece of bread. Grab that, hold on to it. When we eat this in a moment, we think about Jesus' body. God taking on human flesh. The top cup is the juice. We drink it. We remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. So as we celebrate communion today, take a moment to thank God for his love for you. Thank God for his love for the world. And then ask God to help you and help me and to help us learn to love better so that we can love like he does. Let me pray for you. Father, love is such a confused word in our world. It gets mixed up so easily. We label things love that, that really aren't love at all. So God, for just a few minutes this morning, we've tried to come back and look at you. You are love. You created it, you are the source of it, and only you can produce this fruit in us. So thank you, Jesus, for showing us the ultimate example of love. Help us to love like you. Teach us to love better. In the name of Jesus, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, passed it to his disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Then Jesus took a cup, prayed a prayer of thanksgiving over it, passed it to them and said, take and drink. For this cup represents, this cup represents my blood, which is poured out as a new covenant, a new promise for the forgiveness of sins. The body and the blood of Christ for the people of Christ. Church, I hope today you know that you are loved. And I hope that you church, I hope that you will show that love by how you love.